And hello, everyone. You are listening to The The Yamcast. And my name is Chris. And I am Erica. And the whole point of this podcast is really to talk to young adults and young adult leaders about how to do ministry to young adults. And so we usually go through the book of the Bible, and we're in Hosea. We are. If you would like to contact us at all, you can find us on the socials at The Yamcast, or you can even email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. You can leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We would always love those. Yeah. You can rate us, all of those things. We like anything at a five star. And you can find us at all the podcast places. All of them. Everywhere you'd want to look. What are all the podcast places? I don't know. Spotify. I only really know. There's an Apple one that people have heard of. There's Amazon Music. Okay. Um, There's like 20 There's a lot. Yeah, I know. It's great. And we're on all of them now, thanks to Transistor. (laughs) Ka-ching. <laughs> they're not going to give a nice us a little plug. They're not going to give us a free month, but that no. was a good try. So I hear we have a new review. We do have a new review. Let's go. Hopefully, I'm I am at one percent on that phone. Okay. Oh, that's a bad idea. So the review says, "Fire that other pastor and put." It actually says, "I think it's supposed to say put James on the podcast, but it says James with an N." He can't even autocorrect his own name. <laughs> and this is. From one of the interns. Which intern? It just says one of the interns, which I think there were only two. I feel like you can make your guess, maybe. I think there were three. Were there three? They're also all fired now. Well, wow. technically, they're, fired. technically their contract ran out. But I can say this however I want to say it. That they're fired. None I of mean, them work you here do, anymore. You, there you go. <laughs> They've all been let go. So they can try to take it, you know, my crown, whatever they want to do, but... I mean, you're back now. It's funny because, like, you're back and now they're gone. Correct. So they have literally no authority. Mm-hmm. And I have literally. But this review stays there forever. Almost no authority. <laughs> but I'm back. <laughs> kind of the same. Yep. So, whoever the intern is, thank you for your review. That was so great. Um, if it was Ian, I'm coming for you. If it was Will, we're not meeting tomorrow now. If it was Christian, never again. Wow. You know what that means. You know what that? <laughs> no, seriously, I love those three guys. I was bummed that I wasn't here this summer for them. I know that is kind of hard. And if you haven't been here to listen, he hasn't been here. Correct. And he is now back. But what's weird is listening to myself while I'm on sabbatical. Yeah. Because I did w- listen to every one of the podcasts. Wow, nice job. I also caught up on all the Park Hills podcasts, and we're doing decent. Good. Like, I really like this That's podcast. Good. That's good to know. But I'm just saying, like, I, and I mean that objectively. I'm not, I tried to listen to it as if like, I'm a college student or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I would walk away from this knowing something that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously we, we did pre-record a ton of those yep. episodes. But I also liked the different conversations we had totally. interwoven through and bringing different people on I thought was really nice. So I honestly thought the, Try to keep the monthly going. fives. Might even need to pull James in every once in a while. We which, might have Just to. to keep him to read. That's really the main <laughs> goal, is to get him to keep reading a book. And honestly, the entrepreneur conversation with Maddie was fantastic. Yeah, I thought she I really enjoyed did a really good job. It. And I think it was cool watching you coax answers out of her and kind of work together in that and, and really nail down some of the fears and the, the difficulties of entrepreneurship that most mm-hmm. people don't think about, which is a perfect age group to do that. 
because whether our listeners realize or not, if you are in college, there's a really good chance that you're going to graduate college and then not want a, a nine to five. I think lots of people are realizing that. Yeah. They just kind of feel like they're a slave sure. to that job. So Yeah. Or needing to make extra money. Totally. Or not doing what they really want to do. And so this is kind of the in-between yeah. until they can. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good stuff. But I'm back. You are. Guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> Chris is back. Tell uh, a friend. Everyone knows that I'm the real Slim Shady. So he's about to stand up. No, I'm not. I'm sitting. <laughs> Definitely sitting down. Yeah. So we ready to go? But yeah, so Hosea 5, we're picking back up in Hosea, which is also crazy because, yeah, we haven't... The listeners would have heard it just a couple of weeks ago, but yeah. we haven't obviously been here face-to-face for quite some time, so it's kind of nice to get back into it. I was reminiscing looking over our Hosea 4 notes and trying to make sure that this conversation feels like it just happened last week. Mm. So we'll see if that's possible, we'll that even though we just said it's not true. It's not true. But, but we'll make it as authentic feeling yeah. as possible. And honestly, my deeper dive is very close to what we talked about last time, just kind of pulled through a new way. So, Well, and it was either take a break for three months or pre-record a bunch of stuff, and we didn't want to really take the break. So no, we, we love you all too we much. We pre-recorded, so. Which was a bear. It was a lot. But we got it done. We did. Because we're rock stars. Yep. We are podcast rock stars. So, speaking of which. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll start the read-through. We are making so much money off this podcast, we can't even do it anymore. That's so much money we're making. To be real, people who are making money off podcasts, they already are famous. The majority of them. The majority of them. I shouldn't say all of them, because that's not true for all of them. But the majority of them, like, I'm like, it's not fair. You already have a following. Sure. And now you're coming into this. That's, or, why, that's why we're the real heroes. We are. Show. It's yeah. true. Um, or they have a platform yeah. that they're underneath right. that's, you know, doing all that for them. Like their so. own channel or something. Or like iHeartRadio or yeah. whatever the network might be. Yeah. So, yeah we, yeah, we are the true rock stars. We're killing it. Yeah, man. There's a labor of love right here. We do yeah. enjoy it. That's why we do it. James, so. James is making so much money off this podcast. I'm making so much money. Erica's rolling in the I dough. I mean, basically, don't have to work. That's a lie. <laughs> That's such a lie. It's for free. All of it's for free. So with that said, yeah, it has nothing to do with where we're going, but no. let's, let's do it. We're going to jump in and do Hosea 5, doing the read-through, starting with verse 1, and action. Hear this, O priests says our friend Hosea. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. So what I really get from this is pay attention. Yeah. I mean, hear this, pay attention, give ear. Like he is really wanting you to take note. Yep. So God, I'm really getting from this that God is not messing around and Hosea really wants us to know it. Well, and real quick, anytime you see something in triplicate like that, it's very, very important. Very, very, very important. Oh, that's even better. I like it. Wow. Yeah, that's totally it. So I do have a question. Sure. What is Mizpah and where is Tabor? (laughs) Uh, Mizpah is a small city about 10 miles north of Judah or Jerusalem. But that, and on the map, nobody can really picture where that is. But Because he's mainly speaking to 
the northern country, Correct. or not country, northern yep. kingdom yep. of Israel, right. right? Is Mizpah in Israel? Just barely. Just barely, yep. okay. And it's actually a part of uh, the land that was given to the tribe of Ephraim, which I think is going to come up later. Yes, we do. That kind you of have a question about that. that in a little bit, so we'll get back to that. But so Mizpah is just one of the towns in Ephraim, and we have found all kinds of different shrines and things there in archaeology that suggest that they were a part of a, a fertility cult of some sort. So they're worshiping another god, doing some crazy things mm. there. And in the middle of that, that's part of what, that, that's a snare. You've been, a, you've snare been a snare at okay. Mizpah. Now, Tabor, or Mount Tabor, uh, my guide in Israel when I went a couple of years ago called it the belly bottom. And it's a little hill that looks like a like an Audi belly button in the middle of a bunch of fields. Okay. And we kept trying to describe it. No, it's belly button, not bottom. But it was way funnier to hear him say. I would imagine. It's a, the belly bottom. And we're like, that's not it at all. All right. So what it, Tabor is just a, it's a small uh, little hill. We have also found things on top of that hill that seem to suggest there was maybe some worship of other gods happening. The two are a fairly they're not super far apart, but they're far enough apart that this shows there's kind of a strange spread of land here. And then I'm going to throw another weird little detail out, and this is the Bible nerd stuff that some people like, some people don't. So if you don't, tune this part out. But if you do like it, get ready, buckle up. There's a bit of a translation issue at the beginning of verse 2. So notice it said, you have been a snare in Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. There's two things there, right? Mm -hmm. A snare and a net are similar. And then it says the revolters have gone deep into slaughter. A lot of scholars have pointed out that if you change a couple of letters, it would actually read, there's a pit that they have dug for Shatim, which is another little town. And then you would have snare, net, and, and pit, pit three in a row. And it would probably make more sense that that phrase, instead of being, and the revolters have gone into slaughter, it should maybe say, and a pit they have dug for Shatim. So almost every commentator that I've read says that's probably how we should translate it, but none of the translations that I found today really hmm. have that. So it's interesting that they don't do that. But regardless, the idea here is there's three towns, Shatim, Mizpah, and Tabor, uh, all a little bit away from each other. But if you cover that whole region, all of those towns would have been conquered by the Assyrians as well. Okay. So there's this idea back to 4, 3, 2, and 1 of, of, of Hosea. There's this judgment coming, and Assyria is going to do that. And God is basically saying, here's... Here's the ways in which I'm going to do that. And then you get to that last line, but I will discipline all of them, meaning I'm letting this come in, this judgment come in, and it's going to deal with this sin that you guys have been pursuing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, Bible nerd stuff. Maybe people don't care. Uh, verse three, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God for the spirit of whoredom is within them. And they know not the Lord. Okay, so something that I noticed in this section is we often struggle with God being loving and just. Mm -hmm. We kind of, maybe just isn't the right word, but loving and, because I think sometimes we do see, like we want the justice and we do see sure. that as being loving or whatever. Maybe it's judgment. Maybe that's the thing. Sure. But like he will have judgment on the world. Like God cannot be with sin. And we, um, we're going to dive more into this, into like the practical section, but I just saw that here of like, you can, and even just in this book in general, like if you're like, God is loving, you can kind of wrestle sometimes with this idea of him being so, I don't even know what the word is, but 
but having so much judgment. Right. And you can struggle seeing those two that they should go together. Right. You know? Totally. So. And I think, if, you know, if you think about it in these terms, if I had two children, which I do, two daughters. If I had. If I, if I had two daughters, hypothetically speaking, who don't get along, hypothetically. I mean. They're angels. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking, these two children of mine don't get along and they're going after each other and they're being terrible to one another. If I don't punish one of them or both of them for their, their misbehavior toward each other, you know, let's say that the younger one has a cookie and the older one wants the cookie. So she beats her sister over the head and grabs the cookie and takes it away. If I'm just like, I just love you guys so much. And that's the end of my parenting. Mm -hmm. Nobody would think I'm a good parent. Right. Mm -hmm. So I need to discipline my children. And if the child that, that did the wrong thing isn't disciplined, that's not truly love. Yep. And so there's this element here and that's the, the balance that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. If, if God is really loving, he actually is going to be really just, if he's got a standard that he wants people to live by and he doesn't ever hold that standard, then what are we doing? What's the point? Yeah. It's not consistent and it yeah, fluctuates. And I would argue it's not loving. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's basically, you're, you're on it. That's the total theme of this entire section. Chapter five is basically dealing with a little bit of this back and forth of that. And so from that, moving into verse five, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in, its, in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. So this is very much a consequence of us going our own way. And it's being far away from God. And as was mentioned before, like God cannot be with sin. He will be far from them because of their sin. And now I, when I even think of, about us, like he values, because I kind of, yeah, like when I, when I first read this, I was like, but he should be close because we've always been told that, right? Um, but he does value a repentant heart and they don't seem to have that yet. They don't really have that repentant heart. Um, and that's why God is far away from them. I mean, and we do have Jesus that bridges that gap mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways because we always talk about, yeah, if you just turn around, God's right there. Just turn around from your evil ways and God's right there. But obviously like right here, he's not like he's far, like he's withdrawn. And I think that, yeah, it has to do, it can seem contradictory, but I think it has to do more so with their heart. And we'll kind of see that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Um, because when I first hear that God is withdrawn from them, I'm like, wait a second, God's all, I've always been told that God's right with you. So if he's withdrawn, that can sometimes, yeah, start to seem contradictory within scripture. Sure. But then as we've talked about before with contradictions within scripture, it more so has to do with us rather than with actual scripture. Right. So that's when you kind of go, there's got to be something else going on here. There probably isn't a contradiction, you know? Totally. And I think one of the issues that we often have when we do with the old Testament is we, we are usually reading things from an old, a new Testament lens, looking back at it and we're trying to reconcile how things can be said that don't seem to make sense. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the storyline here, Israel is God's people. And I, I know that that may sound weird, but Israel, the nation is or are God's people that that group of people have been chosen by God to tell his story and they're not doing it. So he's got to deal with them. In order to deal with them, he has to remove himself from the equation. Not that he's forever gone. Mm -hmm. And it, and even the the idea, you know, you're saying he's right with you. He's everywhere. Oh, you know, like yes. he's if he's omnipresent, then he he doesn't really need to like have permission to go here or there or whatever. So if you think about it, it's more him just withdrawing his favor or him saying, you know, I'm not I'm not in this next part. I'm going to let this stuff happen 
stuff that you're asking mm-hmm. for. And when I let that happen, then you're going to feel the fullness of this. But once Christ does what he does, now the story has fully been told. And so now we live on the other side of that. And we look back at this and we go, man, God seems so far away. Well, yeah, he has to release Israel to their own sin to prove to them what's wrong. And what happens with Israel after this is they get totally favored and excited about following God, mm-hmm. and which leads us to Jesus then. So Jesus is born into a community that is very passionate about following God. And Jesus is speaking and showing them, some of you have it right, some of you are missing the point, but I'm calling you to this is what I really want you to be. And then Jesus does this amazing thing that the rest of the, the world has to see and decide whether they want to follow him or not. So in that sense, I mean, I love the tension you're feeling, and that's totally it. Um, but I think some of it is just the fact that, you know, we're looking at Old Testament from a New Testament perspective, yeah, which is troublesome. So anything you would add to that? No. Good. All right, verse 7. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Such a funny line to read. Mm-hmm. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. So when I read this, obviously they're not having actual alien yeah. extraterrestrial children. Yeah, like Nebula from Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. But does this mean that they're technically having not non-Israelite children? Yes. So does that mean they're having children with other people outside of being outside of the Israelites? Is that Yeah. So there's some discussion about this in scholarship. I um I actually Spent a little time, like really reading over the notes today, so I'm, I'm like prepared. Uh, but the the idea of alien children is a little bit of discussion about whether these are people actually having alien children, which would go back to like Genesis. Hose- six. Well, Hosea, no, not that not far. That, not yeah, that no, not. I appreciate that's really good. No, not like with angels or anything, but whether they're having people with or babies with other people groups. Okay, there's some discussion about whether that would even happen, and some don't think that that would happen. If it is happening, then that would make sense as to why Hosea's kids are named, for example, like not my people and stuff like that. Okay. Right? So this Mm -hmm. idea of you've really given up on me, you're not even really connected to me. The other way of looking at it would be that they're having children that don't actually have anything to do with Israelite, even Mm -hmm. even though they're Israelite. Right. So they're they're alien children uh, that have nothing to do with really what they're supposed to be all about. And, you know, I can make a case for either. I don't know which one. But it's definitely not you know, guardians of the galaxy sort of situation or yeah. Or with, you know, angel children uh, that have weird situations going on. And, and verse one through seven is really the first half of this two part. So chapter five is broken into two parts. This first part, if you noticed has a triplicate to start that you pointed out, there's a triplicate at the end here that, that it's also within the last couple of verses. And then it just sort of ends. And this idea of God's judgment is coming is verses one through seven. And what you should be looking for as we read verses 8 and on is a battle scene. So there's something happening from verse 8 on that, that starts to spell out God's coming, here's the judgment, and it's, it's basically a call to war. So hopefully you'll hear that when we start mm-hmm. reading verse 8 here. So blow the horn in, in Gebeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. So when I first read things about Hosea, they said that whoever, I was I can't remember who I was reading, but they said that at times Hosea will say Ephraim when he's actually literally talking about the whole chunk of Hosea. Or the, I'm um, sorry, Israel. Yeah. Yeah. 
But are there times then also when he's just talking like about a tribe rather than the whole chunk? It, it's a great question. I, you know, nobody no. really totally knows. What, what is happening is he's definitely talking about both. And the reason why I would say he might at points just be talking to Ephraim is Ephraim is the tribe just north of Judah. Okay. So if you were looking at a map of Israel and you had all the 12 tribes set aside, Dan is the one farthest to the north. And if you go with Jerusalem, Judah surrounds Jerusalem. And then right next to Judah, you have Manasseh across the, the, the Jordan the River. And then below that, you have Benjamin. North of Judah, you have the little tribe of, of uh, Ephraim and then the rest of where Manasseh set up shop. And so those two are just there and, and those two contain the three towns that were mentioned back in oh, verses one okay. and two, Shatim, Mizpah, and and not really a town, but the you know Mount Tabor. So the fact that all of those are right there, he could be saying Ephraim, meaning this region that's about to be completely conquered by the Assyrians, but no yeah. one knows for okay. sure. But it's a gr- I mean, that's I just totally feel like I've it. been confused at times when I'm like, he's saying Ephraim, but then like the next thing he says Israel, but he's actually, uh, yeah, anyways. But- well, I'm with you, and I think you're right. And in whoever wrote that that you read is it is clearly being used back and forth. The question is, are there moments where he's just talking to Ephraim? He might be, mm-hmm. but even as he does that, it is talking to Ephraim as a whole, dealing with the rest of Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't know when, and nobody it knows. Might be dis- differentiated, and it's possible that Hosea is preaching these sermons and he's just getting carried away and just throwing out crazy names here and there. But everybody in the in the Would audience know. knows, oh, yeah, Ephraim. Means this, yeah. Ephraim's pretty messed up in that spot. And, oh, he's talking about all of Israel. Whereas we are so far removed from that. Yeah. You know, and the 10 tribes get wiped away. They, they never really come back. So we have no idea mm-hmm. you know, where it's going. All right, verse 10. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth but am I like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah? So like when I hear that at the end, it's like he's going to infest them. Sure. Right? Like It's gross. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Have you ever had a moth in like a drawer? No. So I was moving an older lady's stuff one time. I don't know if it was a missions trip or what. But I opened a drawer and moths just flew out and there's holes in all of the clothing. And I was like, oh, it was so gross. Um, So some people think that verses, these verses that we just read are dealing with uh, what's written about in 2 Kings 15 verses 19 and 20. Uh, You can go there and look, folks, if you want to. But basically what happens there is the king of Israel decides to sell out to Assyria and so Assyria marches into town, takes a bunch of towns, and the king's like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. And he's like, I'll give you anything you want. And they're like, give us ten, you know, a thousand talents of, of silver a year. And he's like, okay. And so he starts sending them tribute. And what God's saying here is, no, 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 that's not how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And remember back to this battle scene that I told you, there's sort of this idea of like, here's the battle. The crazy thing is moth and dry rot could be translated way differently. And it's really, really gross. So one way to read moth could also be maggot or even pus. Ew. (laughs) And dry rot could actually be gangrene. So it's part of this battle metaphor. Imagine someone dying on the battlefield and they are just being consumed by the things that are taking over their body and they're dying, but they're, they're not moving. They're just laying there. They're a corpse. They're slowly dying off. 
but they're broken open. There's things pussing and, and there's maggots crawling out of them. And it's a great visual. It's Thank disgusting. You. And one <laughs> commentator that I was reading, uh, Dwayne Garrett, uh, he wrote the commentary for the NAC, um, which is the New American Commentary. He suggests it's interesting that in this these couple of verses, God is not rescuing them from their problem. His exact quote is, God is exacerbating, not reversing the effects of the injury. So this shows you that the judgment's complete. Like, we're not messing around anymore. Like, I'm not going to swoop in and save you, which we've, mm-hmm. we've heard a bunch of times in Hosea. Uh, and there's other prophets that say the same thing. There's just a point where we're so far removed from this now. We're nothing. So I'm going to be dry rot to you or I'm going to be, you know, maggots or pus or uh, you know, gangrene, gangrene, just like ins- consuming your body. And I'm not going to let you get what you want out of this, which is... Mm-hmm. Just do what you're supposed to do in the first place. Exactly. All right, so verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and said to the great king, and sent to the great king, sorry, and he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. So, I mean, this kind of answers my question that I had before. Like God is near to those who humbly come to him and admit their wrongdoing and repent from it before they must not have really had like a genuine heart. It must have been more, I feel like I have to do this or whatever. Because, yeah, like earnestly seek my face. Like it's not just, or earnestly seek me. Mm-hmm. It's not just lip service, you know? Totally. And in this book so far, I mean, they're not even just paying lip service. They're full out going after other, other things. Mm-hmm. And it's just really gross. And what God is saying is, you know, I'm done with you. Not forever, but I'm done. And in the process of being done, it's going to get really bad for you. So be prepared, which I, I never want to hear that. Right. No, who does? I mean, that's the thing that I, I, I when I'm walking with Jesus, um, which I have been, you know, for the last almost, you know, 20-something years, I, I don't want to be a person who God would look at and say, I'm coming for you. I'm done. Like, you're, the judgment's coming. Um, so I don't, that makes it sound like I live in fear. I don't. But there is this element of he's so great and amazing. Why would I want to do things his way versus not? And judgment is at least a part of that equation. Mm-hmm. Whether it's good or not is someone else to decide, I suppose. So. Alrighty, it's time for the deeper dive. Have you missed that? I didn't know if I could do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I had to practice this morning in front of the mirror. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> no, you do. <laughs> really funny to think about, though. Uh, so this 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 ties into chapter four and moves us in this direction. And and a question I would want to ask folks is, which is worse, a really bad atheist or a really bad believer? And when I think about that question, I, I struggle a little bit because some of the worst people in all of history have been atheists. Like Hitler. Everybody says he was a Christian. Read, there's multiple books out there about his religion. Hitler was a bad dude who didn't really believe in God. He used the church sometimes to like benefit himself, mm-hmm. as many other people and, have yeah. done throughout history. But he was not a believer in God. In fact, if anything, he sort of saw himself as a God. Uh, you know, Pot, Pol Pot, or some of the other, you know, any of the communist regimes of the, of the 20th century, 
um, you know, s- some individuals like Genghis Khan and others, like some of the really dark, twisted things that have happened in history, those individuals don't really believe in a God or they put themselves in a place that they think that they are God. So those are really, really bad. And that's messed up and it's disgusting. And it's like, oh, that's so gross. But what's worse, a really bad atheist or a believer who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing? Someone who, back to chapter four, is bearing the name of God, but yet not living out that. And like I mentioned, Carmen Ives has written a great book on that. Kind of want to do a giveaway on that. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, she wrote a great book on this, the idea of bearing the name. and But bearing the name, the idea of, I, I'm actually saying I'm for God, then why would you not be for God? And Israel is bearing the name of God. I mean, El is in the name. It means wrestles with God. And this idea that they are supposed to be following Yahweh, doing things Yahweh's way, and they're not doing so. And then I I would ask the question to follow that up. What would happen if they faced trouble? And I've met some, some people who are atheists at different points in their life, and they face like tremendous bad stuff in their life, and it actually turns them toward God, which is interesting. Uh, that when bad things start to happen, you go, man, this is not working. Maybe I should pick something else. Uh, you know, I question some of the allegiance there and the weirdness of it all, but it's, it's really cool. Like in the face of trouble, sometimes a bad atheist does that. The problem is when I've met some really messed up believers who face trouble, they just sort of double down sometimes and they get way worse. Oh. And that's where Israel's at in chapter five. Mm-hmm. They've doubled down. They've gotten worse. It's gotten way, way worse. And in the grand scheme of things, this is the deeper dive part, the the grand storyline of Scripture, God has done everything he needs to do for Israel. They should have no doubt whose side he's on. However, even though he's on their side, they are doing nothing to give him the allegiance that he deserves. Mm -hmm. So how will he change the situation if he doesn't fully unleash judgment upon them? So this kind of comes back to the questions that you were asking in the very beginning of, of the read-through. And I, I think that that's actually even why some of the language is so crazy. You know, the pus and the, the maggots and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's this idea of you've lost your way so badly that the only way back from this is for me to declare war on you. And as you're dying, to continue to be that that bear to you that needs to, like, you know, really mess the situation up. And then once that's through... We'll circle back to chapter one and two, and there will be people who come from all over the world to join this movement. And I'm going, man, how is that not Jesus? How is that not once Jesus does what he does and the the world starts to hear about this Messiah who rose from the grave and the world then starts to say, you know what? Yeah, we've messed up. We're coming to him and he's going to draw everybody in. So I think when I read chapter five, it's shocking. It's hard. It's really painful. At the same time, chapter five is it's necessary to get us to zero AD and on when Jesus is growing up and becoming who he's supposed to be. So when I think about the deeper dive in this sense, I'm, I, I like to think of the grand scheme of, of scripture and this, the storyline of history and how God is using even evil people ultimately to serve his purposes. And whether that's a bad atheist or whether that's a bad believer, mm. he's using both in different ways, uh, letting them do what they need to do but then at the same time responding in kind and then pushing them into another direction. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. Man, I've missed that. Have you? Oh, very much so. Every time I'm like, am I going to be able to hit those notes? Ugh. <laughs> so 
this kind of goes on with what we were talking about with being with God being loving and just and just kind of realizing that we and I would say as Western Christians, I don't know if every um, group of Christians would actually have a struggle with that. But I know we as Western Christians often struggle with this idea of God being loving and then there also being a judgment. Like we often think that love does not go with discipline or that God would not send people to hell or do bad things, quote unquote, to good people. These are huge questions to answer. But if we remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then we actually realize that we're not good people. We deserve whatever comes to us because we're not good. Even when someone comes to Jesus and calls him good, he actually doesn't say like, yeah, because he is, he is good, but he doesn't actually say that. He says only God is good. Like he still points it where it needs to go. So even he doesn't even think that he, I mean, not that he doesn't think he's good, but he still acknowledges that only God is good. Totally. So we actually deserve it all and then some, but God is so loving that he sent his son to take what we actually deserve. God is loving that, is why he actually disciplines us. You kind of touched on this before, like in Hebrews 12, they talk about like what a good father does and a good father disciplines Mm -hmm. their children. And God is our good father. And how much more should we expect his discipline than even our earthly father's discipline? Um, Writing us in the way that we need to go and, and whatnot. And we often do not want to think about God sending people to hell. But again, there are consequences to our actions and if we decided to reject God our whole lives, why would he acknowledge us and bring us with him? Like, that doesn't even make sense. That isn't even for loving. That doesn't really make sense. He already gave us a lifetime um, and a life, like a lifetime of acknowledging him and even just a lifeline, mm-hmm. almost like a get out of jail free card with Jesus. And if we choose not to accept it, like, why do we think we would be exempt from consequences? Mm-hmm. You know? But the truth is, we don't really want somebody dictating our lives. We want control, and that is what humans have wanted from the very beginning. That's why they ate from the tree. Well, um, us wanting control actually leads us to having, like, we don't really have control. Like, we think we have control, but we really don't. We are either serving God or Satan either way. Like, we're a slave to one or the other. And technically, with God, we're free. So... So this leads us, if we're serving Satan, to being separated from God forever. And that's that judgment piece. Even like them, they're going to experience almost like a sliver of what that would be like Mm -hmm. because he is kind of withdrawing himself and not giving them favor. So if you really think about it, it actually makes sense. But we want to be able to live our lives how we want to live our lives and still get the goodness at the end, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's almost like, that doesn't even happen in life. No. Like, I can't do whatever I want to do and still expect my boss to be fine with my work and give me a raise or totally. a promotion. But we think that with God, it, it has to be different because, oh, he's loving. And it's like, but that's not, that isn't how any of life works. Not like God is, God can sometimes do different things than obviously our life shows, but mm-hmm. why would he, you know? like Totally. It just always baffles me when people kind of say, well, God's loving, so like there can't be a hell. And I'm like, but but there's consequences, and that is loving too. Mm-hmm. You have to have that to learn. So Totally. And they love Jesus, but they neglect all the parts that Jesus says, things like, 
you're going to be separated at the end and this is my judgment against you and this is and how- I came to divide not to <laughs> unite in some ways and totally one of my professors said it really well he said if you've spent your entire life trying to avoid God why would he make you spend an eternity with him yeah like that's, that's so the opposite it's the opposite of love you know like my kid kicks and screams and runs away from me and so I just I just keep smothering drag them along yeah like there's a point where you have to, whether you're a parent or a boss or whatever, you have to let the consequences play themselves out to show the individual what needs to happen so that they would come home, mm-hmm. you know? But if I, you know, if, if I was continually cheating on my wife and expecting my relationship to never change, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Right? If I'm embezzling from the company that I work for and I'm expecting not to get fired at the end of it all, you know? Yeah. I'm surprised, like... It's only a million dollars. What's the big deal? Like you're, I can't believe you're mad at me. Uh, There are are consequences to everything that we do. You know, if I ate cookies 24 seven, I'm going to weigh 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. If at the end of me weighing 400 pounds, I'm like, how did did I get here? This is so weird. There's no consequences to what I'm doing. Then we we just, we live in this fantasy world that there's no consequences to what we do. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. So, God is loving and just, and those two things can live in perfect harmony. Mm-hmm. We just don't like thinking about it that way because we like to be in charge, like you said, mm-hmm. and we stink. And so, <laughs> all righty, to which no. we say, everybody, it was so good to spend some time with yes, you. Yes, so Thank, good to have you back. Thanks for hanging out We've with us. Five. Bye. It's a good good episode with lots of good things to hear and say and experience fully and we're waiting for James's voice to come in it's almost here hey James what do you think about this podcast are you glad everybody listens to this podcast hey thank you so much for listening to this episode of the yamcast we hope you enjoyed it remember to check us out on all the socials like instagram at the yamcast we love to hear back from you guys, so please leave us a comment or a review, and we might even send you guys a sticker. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com.